Good morning, everyone. Again, my name is Ed Saunders. I live in Laurel, outside of Billings. I'd like to thank the Montana Historical Society for having me here today to present a topic which is, to me, fascinating, engaging, exciting, fulfilling, and a very little-known subject in Montana about determined women who served in uniform. Many went into harm's way when society said they were not equal as men, they received less pay, less recognition, and they weren't even allowed to vote in federal elections of that day. The topics I'll be looking at are shown here. We honor people by remembering them. Many people have asked me, Ed, what got you started on researching these women from Montana? And I said, Florence Ames did. Many years ago, I was decorating graves at Billings Mount View Cemetery, and I ran across Florence Ames' grave on the hill east of the maintenance garage at Billings Mount View Cemetery. Her headstone captivated me then, and it still does. I looked at it, and I said, who is this Montana nurse that served in World War I? She died an elderly woman. And why are the lyrics to the bugle tune taps engraved on her headstone? I looked at that, and I said, I have to find out more about Florence Ames. And by the way, she was a remarkable woman who never married and had no children. What I found, I can summarize in a statement by Eleanor Roosevelt. And she said it quite simply, as shown in this slide. I'll also begin by answering some very basic questions I'm regularly answered or asked. And the questions really come around to the demographics of the women. What did they do? Where did they serve? And were any of them killed in action? The answers, my research has found just a little bit over 200 women who entered the military service from Montana, mostly as nurses. That's a very important caveat, who entered the service from Montana. I have found that uh, these women came from 20, 29 states, seven countries, and one United States territory. But they found their way to Montana. And when the war began, they decided to enter the service of America in uniform, mostly as nurses. They came from all over the state. And they came from towns that no longer even exist on the map. And my research has also shown that none of them were killed in action or died in the service. Some background. It was called the Great War. It was not called World War I. The Great War began in Europe in August of 1914. America tried to remain neutral. In fact, President Wilson said we we're going to remain neutral. But the war kept escalating. And preparedness efforts, especially by the American Red Cross, began as early as 1912. But by 1916, the American Red Cross said, we're going to get involved in this one way or the other. We've got to get ready. And America entered the war on April 6, 1917, 100 years ago. When America entered the war, its renowned Navy went to the high seas. The Secretary of the Navy at that time was a fellow with the biblical name of Josephus Daniels. He found out he didn't have enough sailors left on shore to take care of all the Navy's paperwork. He was a bit of a visionary, and he wanted to follow England's lead by bringing women into the federal government. And he said, how do I do it? I don't have the money to hire civil servants, and I want military so I can issue military orders to move them where the need is great. 
He found it in a loophole in the Naval Act of 1916 where it said that the Navy could enlist people into the Navy Coastal Defense Reserve Force. Last time I checked, women are people, right? So that's what he did. He said, we're going to bring women on into the Navy through this, and that's how we're going to solve the problem of uh, administrative help on shore. A naval yeoman is an administrative person, a clerk, if you will, a clerk typist, and the women were brought in as yeomen. They began enlisting even before the war began. There were very few requirements for these women. They had to be preferably high school graduate of neat appearance and of good character, and that was pretty much it. Daniels insisted upon and got equal pay for the women as the men, and they received about $28 a month pay. By 1918, thousands enlisted nationwide, and I have a by-name list of 13 women from Montana who enlisted in the Navy. Actually, they didn't enlist in the sense that we know today. All of these women were simply asked to take a loyalty oath, and that was it. They didn't enlist in the manner which we uh, uh, have today. To differentiate them between men, one time one of the women with a name common to both men and women, let's just say Chris, she got orders to a ship. She showed up to a ship and said, Captain, here's my orders to your ship. He looked at her and said, Lady, uh-uh, you're not coming on my boat. So the Navy decided they had to put an identifier, so they put that F behind the name for female. If you say this fast enough, Yeoman F, it sounds like you're saying Yeomanette. That moniker Yeomanette stuck and became a badge of honor for these women, even though the Navy said absolutely not, the women said absolutely yes. We are Yeomanettes. Here are some of uh, three yeomanettes from Montana. Irma Wright from Denton up in Fergus County in Montana history is the first woman to enlist in the Armed Forces of the United States in a capacity other than a nurse. Gertrude Zur from Chinook achieved the rank of Chief Yeoman. By the way, she is buried in uh, Chinook. Harriet Rossiter Hayden Mrs. John Hayden from Billings, they are an interesting couple. They were quite the item in Billings right before World War I. When the war came, John Hayden said, darling, I love you, but duty calls, I'm enlisting. She said, you're not leaving without me, cowboy. She goes with him. They enlist at the same time in the U.S. Navy. They served together at Mare Island in Oakland, California during the same war. After the war, they came back to Billings, started a family, but by 1930, things hadn't worked out for them, and they went their separate ways. But in history, Harriet Rossiter Hayden and John Hayden are the first husband and wife team to serve in the military together, the same place together, in Montana. And probably they are among the first in America to do this. In World War I, the Marine Corps was subordinate to the Navy. They're not subordinate to the Navy anymore, but they were back then. When Josephus Daniels said, Marine Corps, you're going to enlist women too, 
The Marines had to do it because they were subject to orders. The Marines didn't like this idea at all. Why? Well, they're Marines. My son was one. Where did I go wrong? <laughs> the Marines, um, he served proudly, by the way. I'm extremely proud of the boy. The Marines enlisted only 300 women nationwide, and none that I could find were from Montana. The word started going around that's, well, let's call them Marineettes. And the Commandant of the Marine Corps back then, the Major General Bartlett, said absolutely not. They are called Women Marines, and the name stuck. The Nurse Corps of the United States Armed Forces has been into existence since pretty much the Revolutionary War, but it has evolved very slowly in time. Even during the American Civil War, President Lincoln was not keen on the idea of having women associated with the armed forces in a capacity other than the nurses. By 1901, the Army established the uh, Army Nurse Corps, but they only had about 400 nurses in the Nurse Corps at that time. In fact, Montana had more registered nurses at the beginning of World War I than, than the Army did. Montana had around 675 nurses. The Army only had 400. The Navy began a Nurse Corps shortly thereafter, but the Navy had far fewer nurses than the Army. The call to join went out strong. The Army estimated it was going to need between 30,000 and 50,000 nurses. Now, where are you going to get that? You're going to get it from the American Red Cross. The Red Cross is a disaster relief organization, and they are very highly organized. Federal law at that time allowed the military to reach out to private organizations and have them help. There was no uh, prohibition in law for them to do this. The requirements for these nurses were pretty strict starting out. They had to be between ages 25 and 35. They had to be a graduate of a three-year nursing program. They had to be single, although they could be divorced or widowed with no children. They had to be Caucasian. Black nurses or Negro nurses, as they were called then, did eventually filter into the nurse corps, but in very small numbers several years later. Also, if you were born in Germany, and, you, and if you had a German-sounding name, don't even bother. We don't want you around. The Navy also took nurses, but far fewer uh, in number. The starting pay for these nurses was around $50 a month. It went up to $60 a month, and if they went overseas, it was $70 a month. Beginning pay at $50 a month, that meant that they were receiving the same pay as a sergeant in the Army, not as an officer. I begin to look at why did they join? What motivated them to do this? Admittedly, there's always the call to duty, as I call it. That's pretty much the stock answer, but there, it goes a lot deeper than that. I found Virginia Flanagan. And she was one of the older nurses in Montana who was one of the first to enter the Army Nurse Corps. She entered in June of 19, uh, 1917. And her reason is shown here. I'd like to point out something. I believe that she falsified her age to get in. Her records on her death certificate read she was born in 1876. 
That meant she would have been 41 years old at the start of the war. She would have been too old because the upper age limit was 35. On her military records, it reads she was born in 1882, which means she was 34 or 35. Her passport, which she signed years later, said she was born in 1876. Virginia took this to her grave. She never married, had no children. She's buried in Great Falls. Whether or not she falsified her age to be the first one, only she knows. Jane Delano was the chief nurse of the Red Cross. Jane wanted to start training units throughout America. She knew that keeping these nurses together in a group was a good idea. You get a bond together, you know each other, you start working together, you become friends together. And she wanted training units. There were four, four training units in Montana, two in Great Falls, one in Helena, and one in Butte. One of the Great Falls training units, the Columbus Training Unit 511, as it was called, had six women in there. I call them the Great Falls Six. Folks, if you wanted to find a group of women who were the red-hatted Yaya sisterhood, these six women were it. These gals were amazing. They went to nursing school together, they graduated together, and they told the Army, we want to go to France together. And Lydia Fausick was the daughter of Mayor A.J. Fausick of Great Falls at the time. Mina Austin, I want you to keep her Keep her name, keep, keep her name in the back of your mind for a minute. But these gals said, we want to go to war. It was the policy of the army at that time to first send the women to a Bayside hospital. And there were many of them because all of these soldiers were congregating in basic training. When you have 30,000 men in one place, you mean, that means you've got a lot of disease. So these women went all the way to New York City and prepared to go to France. And then the army said, whoops. Got a mistake here. You have to go to a base hospital in America first. So instead of going to France, these women went to, drum roll please, Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> Camp Dodge in Des Moines, however, had about 35,000 soldiers there. The women found that they were treating all kinds of disease at Camp Dodge. Lydia Fausick, who almost died at Camp Dodge, she caught, uh, she got very ill and almost died there. She wrote in her memoirs that she was treating a young soldier who wanted to go to, to Germany, serve his country, and kill the Kaiser. And the soldier told Lydia, I'm dying in an Iowa cornfield. It was kind of sad. Not to be outdone, in Butte, had a uh, training unit I call the St. James 7. Again, the same process. These women were trained together. They wanted to serve together. And the Army was going to send them to a stateside hospital. There's one person, if you read detective novels and old uh, <laughs> things like that, you'll remember, I'll oops, back up. You'll know the name DeShiel Hammett. DeShiel Hammett wrote... Uh, the Maltese Falcon and the Thin Man. Josephine Dolan and him were quite an item. I could really spice up this presentation <laughs> talking about Joe Dolan and DeShiel Hammond, but I have to keep this G-rated. 
They were one of four military couples that I found who married from Montana. A nurse married an officer during the war. And Hugh Ernest Hemingway. Those women, by the way, went to Camp Pike, Arkansas, which is uh, Little Rock. After they were done there, they never went overseas. Camp Funston, which is in Kansas, has a very black mark in history because this is where the flu epidemic in America began. And you can see why. These are hospitals were pretty much warehouses. If one man gets it, everybody gets it. The epidemic came, and uh, there will be another presentation on that, so I won't dwell on this. The number of deaths in Montana were severe, and there was a shortage of nurses. The dilemma for a nurse then was, what do you do? Do you go serve your nation in war, or do you stay home and help those that need help uh, where you live? There are many editorials and, and papers about this same topic. There is an editorial in the New York Tribune at um, around 1918, very scathing editorial about slacker nurses. And the headlines were, slacker nurses are a two-edged menace, meaning a nurse who did not want to serve in the military and they didn't want to serve in the public health sector, they hire on to a wealthy family as a private nurse and they live a comfortable life. There's also an uh, editorial in the Helena Independent of this time that looked at a possible wage and price controls for women uh, to, to keep them from going to be a private nurse. This was a very demanding issue. To address this issue, the qualifications for a nurse began to drop. Initially it was three years, then they knocked it down to two years plus a little summer school. Then they went down to age 19 to age 41, and I said, if you just want to be a hospital worker, we will take you. You don't have to be an RN. We can work with you if you just want to help. You'll hear the phrase, or read the phrase, going across. Nurses at that time were volunteers. In the history of the United States military, women have never been drafted to serve in uniform from the Civil War, World War I and II, Korea, Vietnam. All the women who served in the Armed Forces of the United States have been volunteers. Not only did they volunteer to get into the military nurse corps, but they also volunteered to go overseas. They were not required to go into harm's way if they did not want to. The phrase was going across. When are you going across? Well, I'm going across later. When the women got their orders to go, they received a first-class Pullman accommodation railroad ticket. And they also were allowed 100 pounds of baggage, although officers were allowed 300 pounds of baggage. And they got $4.50 a day per diem to get to New York City. The nurses were staged in the Holly Hotel uh, along Fifth Avenue. When they got there, they were issued nurses' uniforms, but they were also given a U.S. War Department ID. This is a copy of the ID of Louise Lafernace, who uh, entered the service from Glasgow. You'll notice a couple things. First of all, she looks like she could stare down a bronc in Miles City. as one tough-looking woman. By the way, she had a ranch north of Glasgow. She never married, well, she married late in life, but she had no children. Another very 
interesting and unique thing is the women were fingerprinted. This is the first time in American history that women were photographed in a, or uh, fingerprinted for purpose for official purposes outside of uh, police or incarceration. The women had to have this ID on their person and they had to produce it on demand. If it, they didn't have it, they were deemed a spy. And in one case with uh, Edith Clavel in Britain, the Germans lined her up and shot her dead as a spy. The nurses sailed on passenger ships. At that time, the United States government took control of all the railroads and all of the commercial shipping. The nurses, uh, this was not a cruise ship. They sailed at dark. They sailed under uh, blackout conditions. They sailed to Liverpool, England, and then took a train to London and then a ferry to France. The very, the very, the danger of this is in February of 1917, Germany declared unrestricted submarine warfare on Allied shipping, and they would sink commercial liners. This is the SS Missanabe. It was sunk on September uh, 1918. Three months earlier, in July, 200 American nurses were on that ship, including five nurses from Montana. By the way, last week when I was uh, talking about the same subject with a person, an adult in Billings, this person seriously asked me, well, why didn't they fly the nurses from New York to Paris? <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. Uh, I didn't know how to answer that. Once the nurses got to France, they were sent where the need was greatest. This is a depiction, well, this is a picture of the base hospital 53 at Longueur, France. Many Montana nurses served here. This was one of the better hospitals. And by uh, the summer of 1918, over 21,000 Army nurses served, and the majority of them served overseas. About, about 80 Montana nurses served in France in the war. The level of care over there went from the base hospitals down to the front lines as shown here. The base hospitals were the very large buildings. The evacs were smaller, pretty much like what you see in the old TV show MASH. The field hospitals and the dressing station was, lady, I'm sorry, but you've got to make this work any way you can. The field hospital 112 near Cohen, France, with the 28th Infantry Division, as you can see, was simply a collection of tents. It was bombed heavily in August of 1918, and you're thinking, now wait a minute here, where's the Red Cross on, on the canvas? Pilots couldn't see it. So instead of putting red on the canvas, they put white crosses on the canvas, so a pilot at 1,000 feet could look down and see it a whole lot better. It took its toll. No American female was killed by hostile fire in World War I, but many died from disease, utter exhaustion and accidents of war. More, people, more nurses died stateside because of the flu than they did overseas. I found a comment by Marsha Lang, she entered the service in Haver, about the long-term effects of what happens to these women. In contemporary times, we call it PTSD. But the women did not come back whole. The shortage of nurses continued, and the government said, let's start a nurse reserve program. 
This was throughout America, meaning if you have a, a young woman who wants to be a nurse, and if she commits to government service after the completion of this, then the government would help her in her training. I know of one uh, student from Billings, Agnes Talcott. The sad thing about it is Agnes was on her way to complete her training, but she caught the flu in Bozeman and unfortunately died. She is in, uh, she's buried in uh, Billings. In my research, I am proud to say that I found and proved, that's a very important caveat, proved the first female World War I veteran from an American Indian tribe from Montana. She is Regina McIntyre Early from the Confederated Salish Kootenai. This summer, I was invited to Pablo where her name was enshrined on their Eagle Circle Wall of Remembrance. Again, she is known and proven. This is just not anecdotal information. When the American forces got to France, they were using the, or the French telephone system. Problem is, we didn't speak French, they didn't speak English. What are we going to do? So General Blackjack Pershing said, I need American telephone operators who can speak English, who can speak French and work the switchboard. The Army said we need 500 of them. 7,500 women nationwide applied for only 500 jobs. They're officially known as the Women's Telephone Unit of the American Signal Corps. These hello girls, as they were informally called, had to be fluent in French. They also had to be fluent in the Army lingo. When you called somebody on the phone in France, you didn't say, I need uh, Helena 123, please. You'd say, this is Painted Pony 5, I need Red Lake 6. You know, they said, Red Lake 6, who the devil is that? I know of two from Montana, uh, Lena Roy from Bozeman and Merle Egan Anderson from here in Helena. A very important thing here from the paper, notice they were issued Army uniforms, they received Signal Corps identification, and they were given military rank too. When the war ended and the Army said, no, you're not, you weren't in the military, Merle Egan Anderson from Helena went on a 60-year campaign to get veteran status for these women. And she finally got it in 1979 when there were only 30 of these women left alive. A general officer went to each one of these women with a certificate thanking them for their service. In American history, the women telephone operators of the American Signal Corps are the first veterans in American history. The role of honor of these nurses is unimaginable. They received 10 uh, military service crosses, which are one level below the Medal of Honor. In 2007, three Silver Star Medals were awarded to World War I Army nurses, retroactive to the First World War. Many distinguished service medals, many French Croix de Guerre's, and four International Red Cross Medals for international service. Montana's women served proud, and they were cited too. One of whom is Harriet O'Day Nielsen. She served at EVAC Hospital Number Four. EVAC Hospital Number Four was shelled in November of 1918. They were near Verdun. 
the one of the nurses there said our camp at evacuation hospital four was deep mud cold rain and miserable it was hardship toil enemy artillery hit us and the wounded kept coming the wounded were like our boys when they died we cried every nurse was brave every nurse who went to the front would ask to go again one of the nurses at that day was Harriet O'Day Nielsen. After the war, she was on the faculty at Rocky Mountain College in Billings. She was a lifelong nurse, married late in life, died in Billings, and she is buried not far from my house. Every now and then I stop by her grave and say thank you. Another remarkable case is Elizabeth Sandelius from Cokedale, west of Livingston. She was serving in that hospital, the field hospital that I showed you the photo. In August of 19, it was aerially bombed for eight consecutive days by German pilots. Elizabeth refused to leave. The nurses were ordered off, and she said, I am not leaving. She stayed and helped the wounded. Because of that, I am now working with the French consulate in San Francisco because I believe she may have been awarded the French Croix de Guerre for heroism under fire. If she did, that would be extraordinary, not only for Montana, but it would be extraordinary for the United States. Cora Viola Craig was a medical missionary. She wanted to be a medical missionary. Never married, no children, lived up, uh, had a ranch up around Glasgow. She went to war, and a lot of people don't know that the Kingdom of Thailand, called Siam at that time, sent soldiers to, to World War I. She tended the Siamese soldiers. And because of her service, the king of uh, Siam issued her a medal. She is buried in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. The nurses came home. They were given a ticket back home and a thank you. And that was pretty much it. Demobilized, they did not have military rank. They served with the Army, but not in the Army. And Congress finally gave them military benefits in 1947. Navy Yeomanettes were mistakenly given a general discharge, not honorable ones. And the women in the Signal Corps finally received recognition many years later. Women who served for Montana made it to career. Alice Becklin, Colonel Messner, Messner is buried in Arlington National Cemetery, by the way. Remember Mina Austin? She stayed on active duty. She was chief nurse at Sternberg Hospital in Manila. She was captured in World War II. Mina Austin was an angel of Bataan. And she is buried in Minot, North Dakota. I found 13 Montana World War I women veterans are buried in national cemeteries, Arlington, and even over at Custer National Cemetery in Hardin. I would be remiss if not mentioning Susie Wellborn McCrum. She and her brother entered the service. He was killed in action, sadly, while she was in France. She continued to serve as a nurse after she left the service. At her death in 1996, at age 103, she is thought to be the last surviving member of the U.S. Army Nurse Corps of World War I. This summer, or in April, I was proud to be a part of establishing a women's memorial in Billings. 
This memorial is for the women with ties to Yellowstone County. This is not for the entire state. In summary, shown here, the Montana's women served high and proud. None were died in service. They were cited for heroism. They came home largely unrecognized, and many have simply faded into history. And yes, I'm writing a book about them. Ladies and gentlemen, subject to your questions, that concludes my presentation, and I thank you for your time on this remarkable subject of some very determined women.